Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning and happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, our Lord Jesus is risen. And you're supposed to answer and say, He is risen indeed. So I'll try that one more time and then you guys yell it out there in your home. Our Lord Jesus is risen. That's right, he is risen indeed, and I hope that you guys are encouraged and you're excited about being able to worship um, together here. Uh, we are so thankful. Um, we, Even in the midst of the trials and different days, um, God has really blessed us, and we have the privilege of still gathering in our homes and to be able to do what we're doing right now, and that is worshiping our Lord. So Andrew and Susan are going to come in here in just a moment, and they're going to lead us in worship and through some songs. And then after we're done singing, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to share some time through the Word and the book of Acts. We're going to continue our study and the way God aligned it. We're going to look at right at what, what uh, Peter's second uh, speech, his sermon. It's really the first sermon to the church uh, in the church age. And so we're going to look at that as he talks about Jesus, who Jesus is, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so we're going to celebrate that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts chapter 2. We'll look at verses 14 through 40. But uh, join me if you would now. Let's pray. And then Andrew and Susan will lead us in some singing. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can celebrate you each and every day. We can celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us life, and he gives us peace. He gives us the, the opportunity to have an eternal relationship forever with you, Lord. Thank you for restoring us in a relationship with you, for allowing that to be possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we worship you during this time, may you be glorified. May you be proclaimed across this globe today. May people come to know and trust Jesus, and may we honor you with all of who we are. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Enjoy this time of worship. All right. Thank you so much, Andrew and Susan, and uh, for leading us in worship, the singing there. It is a joy to be able to sing along with you and to worship our great God. Um, if you have your Bibles and you haven't turned there yet, if you would turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 40 this morning. One of the things that I'm burdened to do, especially during this time, is for us to walk through the word. I don't want to just give you um, a good word or I don't want to just give you some words. I want to give you the word, the word of God. And I want you to help. I want to help you understand the Bible a little bit more. Um, this week, I had a great conversation with, uh, with uh, a Zoom meeting with some friends uh, from college. And one of my dear friends, uh, Pastor Andy, um, out in Indiana, he, he used this word. And uh, I want to I teach it to you because I didn't know what it is. Uh, you may already know this word, but we're going to have a little uh, vocabulary um, uh, lesson here. And so this term is perfunctory. Perfunctory. And this word uh, is a 16th century term um, that comes from two parts of Latin words, uh, meaning um, carelessness and done with. And so ultimately the definition is an, an action carried out with minimal effort or reflection. 
I think this could be said of us and how we can easily slip into um, perfunctory ways, perfunctory worship. And, and today, this day of Easter allows us to kind of look and to see how do we, how do we normally celebrate Christ's resurrection? How do we normally come together? What is really important to me about that day? And that isn't to say that uh, it, it's bad to miss our breakfast. Um, I, I missed our breakfast together that time of eating um, this morning. Uh, I'm sure the kids missed the, the egg hunt. My son let me know how he was going to miss that. And are we going to have that in the future, Dad? Is somebody going to do that for us? And you, to miss something uh, isn't bad. But when we look at the heart of the Bible and the gospel message and what God tells us is of most importance, oftentimes we can get in such a rhythm that we, that we oversee and that we just kind of go through the motions. And, and today you have the privilege and I have the privilege because things are so different. We're out of that normal rhythm of going out to the stores and getting our, our, our new dresses or our new, a new bow tie or new clothes. Um, you're sitting there probably in your living room and, uh, and, and maybe in your pajamas, maybe in your Sunday best, but it is totally different than coming to the church building and worshiping God on Easter. And so I want to encourage us in, with that term perfunctory that, that today God would use the, the change in our schedule, the change of our surroundings to, to really do a work in us, to challenge our hearts and that he would, he would break down some of the walls that maybe we've put up so that we wouldn't just go through the motions so that we wouldn't go through the motions of, oh, well, here's another Sunday, Easter Sunday. We know what happens. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. No, man, this is, this is so critical. This is so important. And we cannot have this uh, perfunctory attitude. And so uh, that's our term today. That's, that's what I want to walk through as we walk through this section in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 40. Um, when we start there, I'm going to read through and you can follow along with me. And then we'll kind of go back and kind of just highlight some of the things that we see. But if you want to follow along with me, I'll, I'll, I'm reading from the English Standard Version and uh, in Acts chapter 2, we'll start in verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you know yourself, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my souls to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with him to an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this for you yourselves, our seeing and hearing. For David did not descend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We're going to pause there and then uh, kind of walk back through this. And as we walk through it, we start that Peter is standing up before this group of people who have just seen an outpouring of the Spirit. The, the group that was in the upper room, about 120 people, um, we're waiting for the coming promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was rained down upon them. They began speaking in tongues, in languages of all different tribes of, of different nations. We looked at that last week. There are people who are witnessing this and seeing this. And, and some of them have even said and accused them, these people are drunk. Well, Peter stands up with great courage Remember, this is the same man who days earlier denied knowing Jesus. When Jesus came back to life, was resurrected from the dead, he, he asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, I certainly do. I love you. And he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so here Peter begins doing exactly what God, what Jesus has called him to do. And Peter stands up in the midst of this group, this huge gathering. The people are there for the celebration of the feast uh, on the day of Pentecost. And he begins to tell them and to preach this first message. This is the first sermon of, to the church during the church age. Peter is the one who stands up and with the 11 other men with him. And he lifted up his voice, it says there in verse 14, and addressed them. He says, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. What he's saying is fellow Jews. Fellow Jews, I want you to know 
Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Listen to what I am about to tell you. He says, verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, meaning it's 9 a.m., all right? It's, it, it's early in the morning. These people haven't been drinking this early in the morning. You expect drunk people at night. And he, he's like, listen, your accusation is false. These people aren't drunk. Let me tell you what is really going on. So he points to, verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He points to the Old Testament. Here is a group of fellow Jews who have gathered together to celebrate God in, 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 in God's commands and laws of the Old Testament of that gathering at the day of Pentecost, um, of the Feast of Grains. They would know the Old Testament. They knew it. They, they kept the law. Um, and, and so here, Peter is going to make a reference, not only here in, in Joel, uh, but he will also point to David. And in two passages in the Psalms. And so as Peter's proclaiming this message, he's going to point back to say, you, you have had this information before you so that you should know what is happening. And so he, he digs into Joel and it says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What's interesting as uh, as Peter shares this, he adds a couple phrases that aren't in Joel. He says, in the last days, uh, it shall be. So he adds in the last days and he adds, God declares. It, it, it is clear that Peter is saying, this, this is God who has spoken. Not just Joel, this is God and what his word says. The last days is a reference, I believe, to Jesus when Jesus was born and, and came to this earth and, uh, and, and to this point where it, he brought into what we believe is the church age. And so we are living during these last days. And so uh, there's a description of what that looks like. It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Um, this is this is giving and proclaiming the truth, heralding the truth, and, and ultimately that's what we're going to see all throughout this book, uh, the book of Acts, as we see the disciples spreading uh, the gospel message and it's as it's being declared, and the church is being built. It says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So that proclaiming of the mighty acts of God is going to be by all people. There's no more classes. There's no rich and poor uh, man, woman. This is going to happen amongst all people. Yes, Peter is speaking to the Jews, but Joel, as he prophesied before, is speaking about all of the people of the earth, that there's going to be a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled where, where people are going to start declaring the mighty acts of God. There is no mightier act of God than when he changes a person's heart, when he changes their life. Verse 19 says, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So here he's saying before the great and magnificent day of the day of the Lord. I believe that's the second coming. That's the coming of Jesus back to this earth. Before that happens, there are going to be these signs. Some of these, I think, uh, have already happened. When you look at, uh, at what had happened to the sun when Jesus hung on the cross, the sun went to darkness. 
And so we see that there were other signs, uh, magnificent signs, as Jesus hung on the cross and when he died. I think this is, a, this is Peter saying this is a fulfillment of this prophecy here and through Jesus. And this, these things are going to happen before Jesus comes again. He finishes with this uh, verse, verse 21. It is a passage from Joel as well, and it speaks into the heart of men, and it speaks to us today. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to talk a little bit about how that looks at the very end, but remember that with me. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel. So now he just doesn't say, um, okay, you Jewish people who are listening. He actually uses a different term here. And he is, he is re remembering, helping those who have gathered. You are a chosen nation. Men of Israel. Those of you who know that you are chosen by God. Israel was God's distinct nation who he called apart from all the other nations of the world. You Men of Israel, God's chosen people, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. This is a reference again to make it very clear. Jesus was probably a, a familiar name to at that time. And, and he's making, Peter's making it very clear. This Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so usually uh, there's a reference to, uh, to where you came from, where your upbringing was. And I think of uh, a dear friend of ours, Albert Nitz. Albert Nitz is now with the Lord and Albert would always sign his email or his letters, uh, Albert of Revere Village. And, and it was so great, great, because you knew who it was because that was Albert and you knew it was him because of where he lived. Well, Peter is making a reference and saying very clearly, so you don't under, misunderstand, this Jesus of Nazareth, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, they had seen what what Jesus had done. They wanted to stone him, and ultimately they led him to the cross, which Peter's going to say in, in, in reference here in just a minute. But they saw who Jesus was. They saw his, his, his signs and the miracles that God did through him. This Jesus, you know yourself. You've seen him. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's a couple things here. First, we see that the cross was God's plan from the very beginning. It wasn't just some plan that God made up on the fly or because uh, all of a sudden man messed up, then God had to come up with some other plan and, uh, oh, well, I'll just, I'll have Jesus die on the cross. No, Peter makes it very clear that God is the one in control, that God ordained Jesus dying upon the cross, which should give us great comfort and great peace. Ultimately, it's a reminder, God is in control. God is in charge of all things. And so here, even God preordained, he foreknew and planned that Jesus was going to die on the cross, which speaks to back what Paul says in the book of Romans. Uh, when Paul says, while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
It was God's plan. It's his act of love. It shows and demonstrates how much God really, really loves us. A lot of people may question whether God loves us when hard times and difficult times come. Listen, the hard times and the difficult times come on this earth and in this life because of sin. It's the effect of turning away from God. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve turned away from God. And because of that, we have the effects of sin that are all around us, our earth groans, and even it dwells within our heart. The sinful nature, that's why a baby is born and you never have to teach it bad things. I did not have to teach my children to do bad things. It's in their heart. It's part of their sinful nature. And yet God knew that we would abandon him and turn from him. And in that love, God ordained, he, he put together a plan. And Peter is reminding and he's telling these, this nation that God had chosen and for us today, God foreknew. He had a definite plan. And that plan was that Jesus was going to die on a cross. He also says, though, he doesn't let these men off easy. He says, um, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Meaning you have responsibility in this. Even though this was part of God's plan, in, in God's great, awesome uh, plan, he allows mankind to have free choice. And so man was responsible for ultimately sending Jesus to the cross. And so he says, listen, you crucified him. You had a hand in this. Even though it was God's plan and he knew that you were going to do it, you were responsible for sending him to the cross. What wonder what that was like for them to hear that as they stood there, as Peter was preaching to them this sermon, you crucified by the hand of lawless men. He's talking about the lawless men, the Roman government. Here, here are these uh, Pilate and, and, and that you sent Jesus to him. Really? Well, verse 24, it says, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. Uh, there's a reference, you might want to put a little note there, Psalm 18, verses 4 and 5. There's a reference to the Psalms there. God loosened the, 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 the rope, the tie that death has. Ultimately, because death has, has uh, a bound on all of us. That's why uh, until Jesus comes back, every single one of us is going to die. Physically, our bodies are going to die. And so death has that, that grip on us, that vice, but not on Jesus. Because what, what these men had done, uh, crucifying Jesus, sending him to the cross, ultimately God had released that. And, and there was a loosening of the pangs of death. Why? Because, verse 24, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There was no way Jesus could be held by the bounds of death. That just shows about how awesome and mighty our God is and the power of Jesus. Verse 25, here's the second reference to the Old Testament that Peter's using in his sermon. He says, for David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. This is Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. O flesh also will dwell in hope. My flesh will dwell in hope. 
For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, this, uh, Peter's going to mention in, in just a few verses in verse 31, this same phrase, he's going to repeat it again. But the Holy One, he, was, he is referencing, David was prophesying about Jesus who was not going to see his flesh see corruption. Jesus was going to die, but he, his body wasn't going to decay. He wasn't going to see this, this decay. There was going to be a resurrection that was going to happen. Verse 28 says, And you have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. We can rejoice today. We can have gladness in our heart. In spite of what our circumstances are, in spite of what takes place, no matter what hardship, what difficulty, even facing death and persecution, we can be filled with gladness because Jesus rose from the dead. He, he now, for this third time, uses a different phrase, addressing his hearers. In verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. So what he's saying is this isn't David who is speaking about himself. He's speaking about somebody who is greater. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, which is interesting because we don't really see David being mentioned as a prophet until here in the book of Acts. David is mentioned as the king. And on his throne, one of his descendants would come and rule and reign the nation. He would be the Messiah, the coming Messiah. But here, Peter is referencing David as a prophet. It, David was speaking as one who had a knowledge of this coming Messiah. He was a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Again, that coming Messiah. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades. Here's that phrase, that verse 27 that Peter's referencing now. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we all our witnesses. Something very powerful here. David, thousands of years earlier, wrote about the coming Messiah and what would take place. That he would die, but that he would not stay dead. There would be a resurrection. Peter is saying, this is the prophecy. It has come true. And we are all witnesses of that. We've seen Jesus, his works from the book of Joel. We've seen his mighty works. Now we've seen and we've been witness that this Jesus has raised from the dead. He is alive. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This gets back to the heart of why Peter is preaching to them. It, it sets up the question that he's answering from verses 1 through 13. What is happening? As the people saw these and heard in their own language the gospel message, this message of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He's answering and saying, this Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit. And that is what you are witnessing. 
That's what you're seeing. Verse 34, he's going to reference David again and use a third passage of the Old Testament in Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, for David, verse 34, did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David didn't ascend up into heaven. In fact, there's a reference that Peter's already made. David lived, he died, and his tomb is here with us. He's been buried, and, and right here he is. There's no ascension. Well, we see that in earlier in this book, in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke records for us about the ascension of Jesus, how here the disciples were witnessing and talking with Jesus, and as they were talking, he ascended on a cloud up into heaven. And so he's making it very clear, David is not the one sitting at the right hand of God. No, David uses the term Lord. And so in this, uh, verse 36, Peter, for the last time, is going to make another reference to the group that he's speaking to. He says, let all the house of Israel. He said, listen, all of you who are God's chosen people, don't miss this. Therefore, know for certain that God has made him. Who? Not David. Jesus. Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Lord, not David. He is Lord sitting at the right hand of the Lord God Almighty, his Father. Because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And in that, Jesus is both Lord, because now that he has conquered sin and death, he has the power and authority given to him by the Father to rule over this heaven and this earth. And one day, after the Father has made a footstool of his enemies, Jesus will come and rule and reign. We believe that to be the millennium of the end times, the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus will reign for all of eternity. When we see this, Jesus is both Lord and he is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. The Jews were waiting and anticipating the coming Messiah. Some Jews are still waiting for him. And I pray that the Lord would open up their, their eyes so that they can see the fulfillment of, of the prophecies of the Old Testament, especially as we read the book of Isaiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And as Gentiles, it doesn't, it doesn't stick out to us as much. It, it's not as, as pointent of, of an emphasis as Peter is preaching this sermon. But let me be very clear here. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. And he is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who has come as promised to save his people. He has opened it up to not just Jews, but now he has opened salvation up to all peoples of the earth, both Jew and Gentile, free man and slave, man and woman. No matter where you live and what your background is, Jesus desires to be your Lord and your Messiah. Today we celebrate this Jesus. What's interesting is Peter almost throws one more little jab in there as he finishes this sentence. God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
This man that you tried to kill, mm -mm, he is alive. And he is Lord. He has power and authority. And he is the one who will rule. He is the Messiah. Verse 37 continues and says, Now when we heard this, they were cut to the heart. So how did the people react? How did they respond? The people were cut to the heart and said to people and to all the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, this is what you need to do. How is your response today as you've heard the gospel message that Jesus died, that he was buried, but that he rose again and he conquered sin and death? He did that because he loves you. What's your response? The people here were cut to the heart, meaning their heart was beating out. They knew they had to take some kind of action. They weren't perfunctory. There was something deep and sincere. And they needed to take action as they heard these words. So Peter said to them and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said this in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40 says, And with many other words he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Let me encourage you today. Jesus invites you to repent. Repentance is a turning away from. We, in our own understanding, in our own ways, try to live life according to what we think and what we believe. Oftentimes, we try to save ourselves. Oftentimes, that falls short of God's standard. We will always fall short of God's standard. God is perfect and we are not. And yet God tells us to turn from our sin and repent, to call out to him, to claim Jesus as our Lord, as the one who had have rule over our life, to claim Jesus as our Messiah, the one who would rule his people, who has dominion and rule over us. Will you give Jesus that right today? Will you repent and turn from your sins and claim him as Savior if you've claimed Jesus as Savior, let me encourage you to walk with him. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you to proclaim this message that Peter proclaimed here as the church was beginning. He wants to use you to proclaim that same message so that other people can have that same hope, can have the hope of the forgiveness of their sin, so that they can claim Jesus as their Lord. That's why I believe when we are saved, the moment that we're saved, God doesn't call us home. He doesn't take us home to heaven with him. He leaves us here as his ambassadors to tell others and to show others what a relationship with Jesus really looks like. And so you and I are called as ambassadors to live out our faith. This faith isn't weak. This faith has great strength because it is founded upon the word of God upon his promises, and on upon these men who saw as witnesses Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. We celebrate today. Jesus is not dead. 
He is alive. He died for you and he died for me. And he wants to be Lord of your life. And I pray that you will allow him to be that. Your life will change and it will never be the same. There will be hardship and there will be struggle. It will not be an easy road. But let me tell you, there is nothing better in all this world that you could have than a relationship with Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for the way that you have shown yourself faithful and true to us. You prophesied thousands of years before that Jesus would come. You planned thousands and thousands of years before that. You had a plan from the beginning of time that you would send your son Jesus and that he would die in our place. What an act of love. What true love that is. A loving God who would sacrifice his one and only son to die in our place, to take our sin upon his shoulders, who was buried and who could not be conquered by sin and death like we could be, but because he was perfect and holy and because God raised him with his power, he raised from the dead three days after dying. I believe that, Lord, with all my heart. It's changed my life. And I have the hope of eternal life with you. And I enjoy today a relationship with you. The peace that you give me is amazing. Lord, I pray for those who don't have that peace. That today they would cry out. That they would repent. And turn from their sin. And look to you to be their Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you for this glorious day. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And you've given us an opportunity today to not live in perfunctory ways, but Lord, to live in such a way that with all of our heart, with all of our being, we can proclaim Jesus as our Lord. I pray that we will do that. And I pray that we would be great ambassadors proclaiming to the world that needs hope, that needs a relationship with Jesus. Lord, may they see that in each one of us. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Keep us close to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this Easter day, Resurrection Sunday. I pray that you'd have a great week. And I pray that you'll continue to be in the word, study it, read it. Find hope and peace in that relationship with God. He loves you so much. If we can do anything here at West Hill to help you in that, please know that we're here. We're praying for you. Love you all. I can't wait to see you. Uh, give each other a big hug from Pastor Aaron. And God bless you, each one of you.